Chapter 2 of Conciliatory or Ironical Animate Versions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius, translated by Thomas Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Whether Christ can with propriety be called a sinner, an adulterer, an idolater, etc., and whether a certain exchange of persons took place between him and the elect. But on the other hand, I think it is neither good nor prudent that others go farther than is just, use too hard expressions, and such as are unknown to the Holy Spirit, which can scarcely but offend tender ears for instance when they say that we are not greater sinners than christ who being made sin for us was as great a sinner as we that our sins were so actually translated to christ that we are no more sinners that as often as an elect person is spoken of although he hath committed adultery theft and idolatry he is not the adulterer the thief or idolater but that these are rather to be affirmed of christ that there was never so great a transgressor on earth as christ and more of that nature these things are without scripture which indeed calls christ sin never a sinner neither indeed do i agree with those who think that by that abstract and hyperbolical phrase as they say the force of the concrete is intended that it is more to say sin than a sinner paul as usual borrows these his phrases from the old testament and treating of our reconciliation with god by the expiatory sacrifice of christ he teaches that christ was such a sacrifice in truth as the Chet and Hashem were in type, as I have just now shown. But neither does the prophet call Christ a sinner when he testifies that he was numbered with transgressors, Isaiah 53.12, for that may be very conveniently referred to the unjust judgment of the most wicked men procuring the death of Christ. This prophecy had its accomplishment when Christ, being apprehended as a robber, accused of deceiving, of blasphemy, and of disturbing the commonwealth, was at last crucified in the midst between two thieves we have mark at least as the author of this interpretation chapter fifteen verse twenty eight but in reality although they do not speak with scripture who love to call christ a sinner truly a sinner the greatest of all sinners and although i judge it better to abstain from phrases so hard and so liable to calumny yet since other authors solicitously provide for the untainted purity of christ and mean that none of them be understood except in respect of our sins which are not christ's unless by the imputation of god the father and his own most holy undertaking neither have they any other aim except to show that the imputation is most full and every way good in law for our salvation i am unwilling that that should be snatched by the left hand which is given to the right and that unusual expressions should be seized as materials for calumny for they also have the greatest examples by which they can defend themselves chrysostom homily eleven on the second to the corinthians Amadolon inatus amartolus puese dikeus malone ude utos ipen al o polo mison en uhar esin etheken alaften ten puateta uhar ipen e puese amartolon al amartian ina emis genometha ug ipe dikeu ala dikea sune ke for says he he made the righteous a sinner that he might make sinners righteous yea 
he spake not only so but something which was much greater for he did not suppose the habit but the quality itself for he did not say he made him a sinner but sin that we might be made he did not say righteous but righteousness and even the righteousness of god add Ucomenius on chapter nine to the hebrews page eight four five en svodra amartolos o christos ostas tu pantos cosmu analathon que ukios menos amartias christ was a great sinner inasmuch as he had taken upon him the sins of the whole world and had made them his own calvin on galatians three thirteen follows those fathers but modestly because he represented our person therefore he was a sinner and obnoxious to the curse not so much in himself indeed as in us but yet that he was under a necessity to pay our debt and in malarat's collections on two corinthians five twenty one i find the following expressions christ not only died for us but he died as accursed by god and the most wicked sinner of all but most plainly james alingus dissertation theology hept two dis one section four five six seven eight that christ came into judgment and was condemned there yet is declared impious or an offender appears from this that imprisonment is joined with judgment isaiah fifty three eight by which judgment he was brought into prison that judgment was not human which may be unjust but divine and therefore most just now since in the divine judgment christ was condemned to that prison verily he must needs have been guilty and an offender since injustice neither belongs nor can belong to god the judge under which however he would have laboured if indeed he had condemned the just and the innocent now christ was impious and an offender not absolutely but relatively as a surety who free of personal debt sustains the guilt of another and on this account is guilty an offender or impious in the sight of the creditor and judge though i do not altogether approve of these phrases yet i must maintain that christ so substituted himself for the elect and sustained their person that a certain exchange of persons takes place and as christ represented their person while he took their debts upon him and paid for them no less than if he himself had been bound to pay so they again are judged to have paid in the surety no less than if they had paid in their own person for i believe none acquainted with divinity has ever been found nay not indeed a man of sound judgment who dreamed of such an exchange of persons whereby either the saviour was reduced to the rank of them who are to be saved or they become the saviour that would be as extravagant as what i say is orthodox because as christ representing the person of the elect was made sin for them so also on the other hand the elect considered in the person of christ become the righteousness of god in him and because his righteousness is as much their righteousness as their sins were his sins both by imputation but an imputation so valid that as he could not but be punished on account of their sins imputed to him so they cannot but be saved on account of his righteousness imputed to them these things as to the matter itself seem to me so certain and solid yea and such fundamental mysteries of faith that they ought to be uncontroverted among all the orthodox it is not ours to contend concerning the niceties of words this exchange of persons justin martyr extolled in lofty language in his epistle to diognetus the alo das amartia semon edunce calupse e equinon dikiasunen ente dikiasune dunaton tus anomus emas que asethis e ento uio tu theu o tes crucias catalages o tes anexignisatu de misurgias 
oton a prosdokiton evergesion ina anomia polon en dicio en cruce dicio synen de eos polus an mus dicio se what else could cover our sins but his righteousness in whom else could we the unjust and the impious be accounted righteous but in the son of god only o oh, the sweet exchange o oh, the unsearchable contrivance o oh, the unexpected benefits that the iniquity of many should be hid in a righteous one and that the righteousness of one should justify many who were unjust these things are prosecuted excellently and at large by tarotin in the truth of christ's satisfaction part two section thirty four neither do i think it will be disagreeable to any if his words be here recited as we are said to be made righteousness in christ by imputation because on account of the righteousness of christ apprehended by us through faith and imputed by god we are pronounced righteous before him so in like manner that the nature of the opposition may appear he was made sin for us by imputation because our guilt wherewith we were bound in the judgment of god was laid up on him as our surety that he might suffer the punishment due to it Augustine expresses himself most excellently in his Enchiridion to Laurentius, chapter 41, He sin and we righteousness, not our own but God's, not in ourselves but in him, as he was made sin, not his own but ours, not in himself but in us. Thus indeed, by a wonderful exchange, he took our evils upon himself, that he might bestow his benefits upon us, received misery that he might grant mercy received the curse that he might make us partakers of the blessing received death that he might confer life received sin that he might impart righteousness this exchange on both sides agrees in the following things first that in both something foreign is by the estimation of the divine judgment transferred to a person which translation is not an error of judgment but a certain appointment whereby on account of something done by another something is assigned to thee as if thou hadst been that very person from whom that action arose. On account of our sin, death was inflicted on Christ, as if he himself had sinned, and because of Christ's righteousness, life and the inheritance are conferred on us, as if we had been righteous and had fulfilled the law. Further, that on both sides there behoved to be a connection between these persons, for our sins could not have been imputed to Christ unless he had been united to us both by the bond of the same nature and a voluntary suretyship, neither could his righteousness have been imputed to us unless we had become one body with him. Yet they differ far in this that the imputation to Christ is according to justice, to us according to mercy. Sin was translated to him, but to be abolished, righteousness to us, but to be preserved the curse to him in order to be swallowed up the blessing to us with a view to be continued pollutions to him that they might be cast into the depths of the sea the new robe of the firstborn to us that it might be put on hence it is that we can be called truly righteous and the sons of god but christ cannot therefore be called either a sinner or a son of wrath because he neither had sin of himself nor did the wrath of god abide on him but only passed over him so far Turretin to which things expressed with equal solidity and elegance i subscribe with heart and hand after i had thus written conciliatory letters were sent me from london wherein to my great joy i found things which i think highly calculated to restore harmony among brethren some had been justly offended with that inconsiderate assertion that there is no exchange of persons between christ and believers that stumbling-block the reconcilers take out of the way by this declaration 
since we conceive that the doctrine of justification and of the satisfaction of christ upon which it depends cannot be duly explained and defended if the exchange of persons between christ and believers be denied therefore we declare that we disapprove of that proposition in its general sense and explain our mind as follows it is clear that there cannot be a physical exchange whereby christ and believers are converted into one another according to substance nor moral, whereby Christ becomes inherently wicked and infected with the stain of sin, and believers become immediately innocent, harmless, and undefiled. But in reality we do not doubt, but there is an exchange of persons in a legal sense, so that Christ, by virtue of the covenant between the Father and Him, took upon Him the person, and came in the place and stead of sinners. Not that we might repent and believe for them which is required in the gospel, although He obtained that the elect should at the appointed time be rendered fit for these things but that for them he might satisfy the violated obligation of the law of works he was made sin for them although he had not known sin that they might be made the righteousness of god in him and what is repugnant to this exposition we judge to be erroneous and false thus far the learned men and what impartial person can desire more End of chapter two